Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. There are, no doubt, people causing problems in your life right now. And it probably feels like the only solution is for those people to change their behavior. Thankfully, that's not the case. We're studying James chapter 5, verses 7 to 8, which say, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See, the farmer waits for the valuable crop of the land, being patient until he receives the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. Well, it was a rough time for the readers of the book of James, the people who are that this book was written to. They were having a tough, ter- terrible, terrible things were happening to them. And as a result, they were turning against each other inside the church. It's all kinds of fighting and quarreling and judging and grumbling against each other, which is actually pretty common. That happens. The more suffering increases, the more pressure comes from the outside, the more of a tendency we have to just become irritable, right, with each other. But it's interesting how James deals with the problem. of, and that, He's been dealing with that problem all through the whole book of James. I think that's probably the main purpose of the book of James. He rebukes the people uh, who are causing the suffering, and he pronounces judgment on them. He, he tells us, be patient, because they're going to be judged, these people that are hurting you. But he doesn't do that until chapter 5. What has he been doing for the first four chapters? What he did in the first four chapters is he taught us how to diagnose and cure the underlying heart problems that cause us to become irritable and turn on each other when suffering comes, when hard times come in the church. That's very instructive. Four chapters of dealing with our own heart problems. And then not until chapter 5 does he finally get around to talking about the people who are causing our suffering. When people are driving you to sin with their behavior, your spouse, your kids, your boss, whoever, somebody's somebody's pushing you into sin, the main solution is not to get them to stop. The main solution has nothing to do with them. It's, it's dealing with your heart. In fact, even in chapter 5, when James finally does get around to dealing with the, the people that are causing the suffering, he doesn't say anything about how to get them to stop, how to get them to stop hurting you. It's still all about our hearts, even in chapter 5, right? Which is great news for us. That's, that's fantastic news because if the only solution to my sin problem when I'm suffering is to get the people who are hurting me to stop hurting me, that's outside of my control. But my own heart is something I always have access to. And so this is, these are wonderful truths in the book of James. James is teaching us what kind of heart responses we should have when we're being mistreated. He's teaching us that in chapter 5. And he started last week in verse 7 with patience. Verse 7, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. So that's command number one. There's three. He's going to give us three commands. And the first one is be patient. Second one is in verse 8, be strong. Uh, verse 8, literally, it's strengthen your hearts. Because the Lord's coming is near. When you're suffering, uh, when you're being mistreated, life is unfair, be patient and be strong. Strengthen your heart. Strengthen your inner man. The word strengthen is a strong word. It it means to make something immovable. 
It's the word that is used in Luke 16 to describe the immovable gulf that's set between heaven and hell. Lazarus couldn't come down and give a drip of water to the rich man in hell because there was an immovable gap between the two. That's the same word. It's the word used of Jesus' resolve to go and die on the cross in Jerusalem. In Luke 9.51, it says Jesus literally strengthened his face to go to Jerusalem. He turned in that direction with immovable, unchangeable, unbending, non-negotiable resolve. And he was going. And James says, do that to your heart. Strengthen your heart. Strengthening the heart... In the, in the grammar of James here, it stands in contrast to what the rich people were doing with their hearts in verse 5. Uh, if you back up to verse 5, remember when it said you fattened yourself for the day of slaughter? Literally in the Greek, it's you fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. See, they lived in luxury and self-indulgence to the point where their inner man, their heart, became soft and flabby and weak. And James is, is saying, instead of doing that, strengthen your heart. Strengthen it. If your inner man, if you let your inner man become weak and flabby, um, the, the result will be double-mindedness, which James has been railing against throughout the whole book, right? He's been talking to us about double-mindedness. Double-mindedness is that weakness of heart, that weakness of your inner man that causes you to, to just vacillate, to, to, to be unstable, to shift back and forth. Now I'm following Christ, now I'm not. Now I'm serious, now I'm not. Now I'm praising God, now I'm criticizing people who are in God's image. Uh, now I'm praying to God, uh, now I'm in love with the world. And back and forth, back and forth, that's double-mindedness. And in chapter 4, verse 8, he called us to repent of that double-mindedness. And part of repentance of double-mindedness involves doing what you can do to strengthen your heart so that you can remain steadfast and firm, immovable. Not going back and forth, blowing in the wind whenever suffering or temptation comes along. And the fact that it's a command shows that this is our responsibility to do this. Now, in other places, Scripture uses the same word, and it says God strengthens our hearts. It's God who does it. But in this passage, we're told to do it. Uh, and that's, that's the mystery of sanctification, right? The, the, we put forth effort, and that, when that effort succeeds, it was God doing the work, right? Let me just give you a warning. Steer clear of those teachers who try to tell you that human effort is a work of the flesh. They tell you, oh, no, no, just let go, let God do it. You stop working, stop trying, stop striving. Over and over and over in Scripture, we see that, yes, it's God who does it, but the power and the grace of God is activated through our hard work, not in place of it. So when you're working hard, that's not the flesh. That's the Spirit. Several times in our study of James, uh, some people have wondered if there's too much emphasis on duty. They'll say, Daryl, you're talking about commands and duty and do this and strive for that and not enough emphasis on what Christ has done. And several have left the church over that. Not enough emphasis. And I'm very sensitive to to the very real possibility that I might not have gotten that balance right. And I pray a lot about that, and I frequently double-check my sermons to see if I'm missing things in here that I should be saying. But, but I have to say, every time I look at the book of James, you know what I see when I look at the book of James? Fifty-five commands in five short chapters. I see imperative after imperative after imperative. Fifty-five commands. And the cross is, is mentioned zero times. It's never mentioned a single time. 
Now, obviously, the cross is central, right? That's central, which is why I have actually mentioned it many, many times in this study of James, even though it's not in the text. But, but we need to understand, and I've done that because it's, it's, it's assumed in, in the gospel writing, but, but we need to understand that the gospel is a complex message. It's important to understand. People wonder, why can James write a whole book of the Bible and never mention the cross? Well, it's because the, the gospel is a very complex message. It's more than just, Jesus died for your sins. There's more to it than that. Which is why the Bible is 66 books instead of one sentence. And there are, there's, there are some people who are lost, and the reason they're not saved is uh, because even though they know the basics, they know about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead, they're ignorant about some other aspect. And that other aspect they're ignorant about is the thing that's preventing them from coming to faith in Christ. They're ignorant maybe of, of, of what it looks like to live by faith. Or maybe they're ignorant of, of, of how love for the world affects your desires of your heart and your relationships with people and relationships with God or, 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 or something else. And, <clears throat> and that's what's preventing them from being saved. Now, Please understand, that's not to say that you have to understand every detail of sanctification in order to be saved. Certainly not that. But it is possible for a lack of knowledge of some certain aspect of the Christian life to create enough confusion in a person's heart to prevent that person from believing. That's possible. It happens. And so very often, the the key to, to, to those people getting saved is not another sermon on the basics of the cross, but rather a sermon on some, whatever aspect of the gospel it is, that they're not understanding. Um, I have a family member who was lost and, until uh, until she heard a sermon one day, uh, a Sunday school class on the parable of the talents. And and when it got to the part about God as is, uh, the guy said, I he thought of God as a hard master. The foolish servant thought of God as a hard master. Um, all of a sudden, it just struck her. He's not a hard. She said, "That's the way I've been thinking about him. I've been thinking he's a hard master, and he's not." And that struck her and. The Holy Spirit used that to open up her eyes of faith and she was saved right there. It's a, you never know what God is going to use to save a person. Everything in here is the gospel. The whole New Testament is the gospel. So, all that to say, let's not shy away from the commands that God gives us. All his commands are good and life-giving and liberating and not burdensome. It's, he said it, the, the law that gives freedom, because they point us to the path of joy in Christ. The pathway to the greatest joy and fulfillment in life is the road where when you get tr- mistreated by others, you will respond by being patient and strengthening your heart. Strengthen your heart. We learned in chapter 1 that the way to strengthen your heart against double-mindedness is to exercise your perseverance muscle. The same way you build any muscle, you use the little bit of strength it already has to lift weights until it's fatigued, and then it builds back stronger. Then you can work harder, and it becomes even stronger. Try that with your perseverance today. Be on the lookout for hardships that you can use to strengthen your perseverance muscle, especially hardships of being mistreated. If you haven't done all that well with the really big tests, look for little tiny ones. When some tiny little discomfort comes along today, consciously think of persevering through that hardship in a way that strengthens your perseverance muscle. 
Talk to yourself about it. Then imagine yourself persevering in the same godly way through a little bit bigger trial than a bigger one. Every little hardship through the day, use them as training to strengthen your heart. Let's pray. Father, when I suffer, especially when it's unjust suffering, help me remember that it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. You call me to this because Christ suffered for me, leaving me an example. Oh Lord, teach me to follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to you, the one who judges justly. Thank you, Father, that I can do the same thing. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Take a moment to pray for the people you know who are suffering and ask the same thing for them. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.